welcome listeners to the inaugural episode of Mistakes, Missteps, and Mindsets, Stories of Failure and Resilience in Academic Research. I am Dr. Crystal Nunes. And I am Alex White Guerriero, student, uh, and we will be your podcast hosts. So this podcast is hosted by Toronto Metropolitan University in Toronto, Canada, and is funded by a Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council Explore Grant. The creation of this podcast was first inspired by conversations between Alex and myself on the role of failure and how it plays into the undergraduate experience. And it also builds upon past work of ours that identified students' most common suggestion to decrease the negative stigma associated with failure. And that suggestion was that they wanted to hear professors talk more openly about their setbacks and failures in academia. Uh, In Mistakes, Missteps, and Mindsets, we will interview a new Toronto Metropolitan faculty member of research or researcher each episode, where we will dive into stories of the professional failures and how they bounce back and navigated those disappointments. The goal of this podcast is to normalize failure for undergraduate students and encourage academic communities to have more of these important conversations. We also hope to humanize professors by highlighting the failures that they had in their careers, the falls that accompanied their successes. In this way, we make professors more approachable for students who may otherwise have been hesitant to seek support. All right, Crystal, can you describe to our listeners your area of expertise and the classes you teach at TMU? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a professor in the Department of Chemistry and Biology here at TMU. I teach ecology and environmental focus classes at both the undergraduate and graduate levels. And currently I am teaching first year introductory biology. Uh, In terms of my area of research, I was hired as a discipline-based education researcher, which means that I specialize in pedagogical research within STEM, and that takes an evidence-based approach to one's methods of teaching and learning. Um, And would you mind briefly walking us through your academic journey? Did you grow up thinking that you wanted to be a professor? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, So one thing to note is that I am a first-generation student. So that means that within my family, my parents, even my grandparents, aunts and uncles, uh, they did not go to university. So when I entered university, I didn't really have a clear idea of what I wanted to do with my academic career. And when I chose my major of physical geography, that decision was made simply because it was my favorite subject in high school. And it wasn't until I started to take some biology courses during my undergrad that I discovered my interest in that subject area. And so I added it as a minor before I entered my third year. And when completing more of my biology courses, I discovered a passion for plant biology and ecology. And then I pursued a master's degree in ecology and evolutionary biology. I really enjoyed my first year of graduate school. I liked the relationship I had with my supervisor. I liked all of my peers. And so I decided to stick around for four more years (laughs) and transition to the PhD stream. And through those years, I liked my research, but it 
was teaching that I really loved and I really enjoyed working as a TA. So following graduation, I really dove headfirst into that, teaching as many classes as possible at colleges and universities across the GTA. And after several years of teaching, I returned to the University of Toronto and completed a postdoctoral fellowship that was centered on STEM education. So supplementing all of my experience teaching with also diving into the research behind teaching and learning. That's so interesting. (laughs) I feel like we don't really think about teaching as like a Thing that you study sure so um how did you get into that is your path like linear meandering oh i would definitely say meandering even if thinking about my career goals over the years when i started my undergraduate degree i thought i'd be a meteorologist then i thought geologist uh, then i considered a high school teacher Um, And finally, when I started graduate school, I was seriously considering a career in conservation. Um, So I did my PhD in the field of invasive plant ecology. And even that was a result of a more meandering pathway. So my interest in plant ecology really stemmed from, I'll say a challenging enrollment system at my (laughs) alma mater where um, maybe other students have a similar experience. Being a biology minor meant that my enrollment date for biology courses was later Mm. than the biology majors. And so when it came my turn to enroll in courses, a lot of the human anatomy um, courses had all been filled and what was left behind were all of the plant biology courses. (laughs) I know that I guess weren't as as popular. Um, So it was a result of kind of a forced decision at the time, but then I grew to absolutely love the subject and pursue plant biology in my postgraduate education. And even during graduate school and beyond, I was still unsure of my pathway. I enjoyed conservation work, but I also enjoyed post-secondary teaching. And I kept doing both for many years. So while I was doing all that teaching across the GTA, I was simultaneously working with the Toronto and Region Conservation Authority, uh, kind of you know keeping myself involved in both of those areas. So to answer your question, a faculty role at a Toronto-based university was always an incredible option and would certainly be a dream position, but it was never a singular goal and really was only more recently something that I thought would be achievable for me. Yeah, it's kind of funny how sometimes the thing that you're like, oh, I don't want to do this ends up becoming the thing that you're the best at or the thing you love the most. And you're like, where did this come from? Yeah, absolutely. I think if I had the opportunity, I might have taken more, you know, human anatomy courses or animal based courses. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have thought to enroll in a lot of plant Plant. (laughs) plant courses. Absolutely. Um, So research and pedagogy, uh, research and ecology, plant biology and Mm -hmm. invasives Mm -hmm. um has there ever been a time when you failed in your research did you ever just think to yourself uh that's it i give up i'm walking away we're done here 
Oh, yeah, uh, a fair question. And I have certainly had more failures than I could possibly count. Right now, I have a folder in my email account of failed grant applications, <laughs> rejected paper submissions from academic journals. And I think that does come with the territory of a career in academia that you become intimately familiar with rejection. And in fact, one of my favorite stories of failure and one, Alex, I know you have heard before is uh, of my time applying to undergraduate programs, being in 12th grade, um, applying to various programs, again, across the GTA. This is the area in which I'm originally from. And I applied to several schools and I did end up accepting an offer to a physical geography program, as I mentioned before. But I was rejected from one of the programs that I applied to. And I was crushed when I received that rejection letter. I was incredibly embarrassed. I didn't tell anyone about it except for my parents until now when I tell lecture halls filled with hundreds of students. But at the time, <laughs> it was very embarrassing for me. Um, but again, I selected a different program to which I was accepted. It worked out great. I learned my passion for plant ecology and that dictated the rest of my career. And the reason why it is one of my favorite stories is that the school that rejected me all those years ago was TMU. Uh exactly. So look <laughs> at me now. Um, and then in terms of experimental failures, that happens uh, as well. I remember experiments during my PhD when I was working in the field of invasion ecology. I had metal voles that ate all of the plants in one of my experimental plots. I was doing a growth chamber experiment and my plants became infested with aphids. There was even one where I'll, I'll categorize it as an experimental failure where there was a plot out in a, a field center where I had trouble sampling it and decided to sacrifice the data point because the plot was just absolutely covered in orb weaver oh, no. spiders oh no which i know coming from an ecologist that might sound strange and generally i'm not too skirmish with such things but really large orb weaver spiders make me uncomfortable yeah. and there were just too many to no, count so no, i had to no. walk away <laughs> um so yeah certainly we have those failures uh, in terms of your question of whether or not I threw my hands up and thought, that's it, I give up. Uh, I think maybe in the moment I would be so frustrated with the unexpected failure that that might have been an initial reaction. But it was never the continued response. I'd always return to it and uh, troubleshoot and figure out how we can navigate this unexpected challenge. So, Alex, mm -hmm. now that I've done a lot of the talking, <laughs> I'd love to hear more about your university experience and maybe you can share a bit about your own academic journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I was not a science kid growing up. I shouldn't say that because I loved science. I loved the Magic School Bus. I loved Bill Nye. I loved Classics. watching documentaries. <laughs> um but I wasn't slotted into that role uh, by my teachers. I was very much an arts kid. Both my parents are artists. It was just kind of a given that I would go into like 
film or English or something like that, because that's what was expected of me. Uh, and so I, I did that for a bit. I went to U of T um, for film. I didn't love it. Um, it turns out that film is a um, is a very theoretical based course at at U of T versus like a practical based course. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get really into uh, dissecting films and film theory, and then you can never go watch a film again <laughs> because every time you see something on screen, you're like, oh, that means that this is going to happen. Like there's a lot of tropes, and there's tropes for a reason. Anyway, didn't love it. Took some time off from school. Randomly, my roommate at the time was also studying biology at TMU. And I was just working as a server in a restaurant. Um, and I I looked at her textbooks. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I, I know what this thing is. Hey, I know this thing too. And I was really shocked by all of this sort of like background knowledge that I had about the sciences, despite not being a science kid, you know? Um, and I kind of was like, maybe I should just take, take, take a course. I'm just going to take a course. So I did. And I did really well. And I really loved it. And it made me really excited. But I was like, I'm, I'm still not like, I'm not a math kid. I'm a bio, sure. I'm a bio kid true and through enough. and through. So I, I took one course and I loved it. But the math scared me. And I was like, what science jobs can I get where I don't need to be amazing at math i'm okay at math i get through i brute force excel um but randomly it was like scientific communicator and i was like what what is that Mm -hmm. what's a scientific communicator and then i was like oh my god bill nye is a scientific communicator the magic school bus is a scientific communication like it's all it was all there you know and i didn't realize that there needed to be a way to communicate silence science to the masses um and i was like that that's me i'll do that i can do that so now i am here and i'm doing this podcast and it is very uh much what i want to do which is amazing and i'm yeah i'm only in third year um i'm specializing in environmental biology still definitely uh considering other options but i'm uh i'm here and i'm doing this right now and it's great that's fantastic and again another example of the unexpected influences in your life you had a roommate and because of what they were studying it reignited your interest in science so yeah you never know how that pathway can change over time Uh, So, as we know, this podcast is centered around sharing (laughs) stories of failure. So have you experienced a failure in your academic career that you would like to share? Yo, God. Well, many. But I have to save some for other episodes, I'm sure. Um, My favorite one and what kind of gave me what even got me in your office in the first place, actually, because it's the second time this has happened, is um, I forgot to write a hypothesis Uh, wrote this really beautiful paper in first year biology. Great mark. But the first comment on it was, where's your hypothesis? Mm -hmm. So I lost like 10 marks right off the bat for forgetting to write a hypothesis. So after that, I was like, no, you know, I am not. I am never going to forget to write a hypothesis again. And then I did. I forgot again in your in your (laughs) class in ecology. I forgot to write a hypothesis again. I couldn't believe it. So now, um, 
because I, it's marks and it's easy marks and the hypothesis statements are weird but you know you just put it in there so then I now when I write papers it's the first thing I write I literally write my hypothesis and it's there and then I know it's there you know um but besides that I mean that's my f- that's just so funny and I'm sure I'll do it again I could be writing a thesis and I'll forget to write my hypothesis truly um but I mean like I said not a math girl first class I failed in university uh calculus oh <laughs> calculus yeah this one mm-hmm. well we can't say fail because I got a d and okay. we will talk about that more sure the, the fail versus the bad mark right but yeah I uh did, did I got a d so I passed barely but I came back from it I uh took the class again and got an b plus wow so. fantastic <laughs> yeah i I'm, I always, I'm always experiencing failure. <laughs> There's so many stories. I don't have a favorite because I'm, I'm always going through it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I remember when you first came to my office hours to discuss that assignment and I read through your submission and yes, there were a lot of marks allocated to the hypothesis <laughs> because it is critical in the sciences. It's our jumping off point. It's outlining the question as well as give some indication of how we're going to test um, our hypothesis. And you had written such a lovely introduction that really (laughs) set a stage and painted a picture. And then when I learned you have that film background and that art background, I was like, oh, that makes sense. I see that coming through in your work. So I think you touched upon this uh, a bit in your last response, but how did you bounce back from that disappointment or how did you respond to those failures? Yeah, well, I take I take it hard at first. I'm really my friends. They're always like, you are so hard on yourself. You are so hard on yourself. So I do. I, I beat myself up quite a bit. I have a setback. I'll come back from this. A lot faster. So it used to be like three weeks. Now it's like two days, you know, I definitely have to feel bad about it. But then the resolve is so much like I'm just like, okay, now, now I'm going to get it right. Now I'm going to do this. I think you definitely build a lot of resilience throughout your academic career career. And I think that that's kind of the beauty of failure is that it does teach you to be resilient it does teach you to be resourceful it teaches you when something is not working for you something might work for everyone else but it doesn't work for you and you know that's what you have to do so that that's what I do I just I plan I become very strategic and then I um attack it with everything. (laughs) That's fantastic. And you touched upon exactly what I was going to say when you mentioned that your recovery time has become shorter and shorter over the years. That's exactly what's happening. You're developing that resilience, which is a, a characteristic that we can't develop unless we experience those failures. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. So I've talked about my failure and my my bounce back. Um, Do you have any advice for students when they experience failure? Sure. And one thing I wanted to highlight about your story, it's great to hear that you're bouncing back and come back at it with everything that you have. But you also reached out for support. You came to my office hours and that was part of that process and that response to failure. So I think what is most important is how we respond to that failure. And it is 
perfectly all right to have those feelings of being upset, of being disappointed and letting yourself feel that let yourself feel those emotions because of course there's still that aspect of that disappointment but then it's critical to reevaluate and reflect on that failure so if we're thinking of this in an academic context if we're thinking of a test or an assignment that didn't go as well as one hoped critically thinking about what went wrong. What was your approach to that test or assignment? You know, how did you study for it? How can you modify it in the future? What's working for you? What's not working for you? And going through that process of reflection is how we can then learn from the mistake and build those skills of resilience. On top of taking those moments for reflection, I also think it's critically important to find that support network because failures can be an emotional experience. So finding that support, whether it be your instructors and coming to office hours or through your peers, roommates, family, or resources that are available on campus which is my transition back to you, Alex, (laughs) of what advice you might have for undergraduate students who are facing challenges and where could they turn for support? We have a lot of great resources on campus. Some of my favorite for science kids, but I don't know if they have these in other faculties. I'll have to look into it. Are the um, SLGs? So the student learning groups, um, they're basically a study group that it's led by an upper year student and they help you work through questions and it's a fantastic way to have someone ask somebody for help who maybe isn't an intimidating person you know what I mean because perhaps I think can be very intimidating at least especially in first year especially in first year um so I think the SLGs are fantastic Hey, it's Alex here. I have just a quick little aside. Uh, I forgot to do the homework for this question, so I didn't have all the resources put together and a nice little list to read off to you. Thankfully, I had Dr. Nunez in the room, and I let her take over because that is what professionals are there for. Thank you, Crystal. We appreciate it. I agree that SLG sessions are an incredibly valuable resource for students and giving the opportunity for them to interact with their peers. Uh, You raise a great question of what's available in other faculties. I, too, am most familiar with those in the sciences. So I'll be interested to pose this same question to faculty members outside of the sciences as we continue with more episodes of our podcast. But we can also invite students to Google or to look up student life and learning support here at TMU, where they have a lot of resources, including the TMU Tutor Match Program, the Tri Mentoring Program, and many study skills and transition supports that are posted on their website. Mm. So this includes how to create a study plan, how to effectively take notes, how to best manage your time. So there's a lot of study resources available. But beyond that, the university also offers many mental health resources. 
So there exists the TMU mental health and well-being guides, TMU counseling services, as well as information online of resources available beyond the university. Yeah, there's actually like, it's crazy sometimes. The resources can be overwhelming. Everything about university is overwhelming, including the help that you can get. So just think that if you are going through something, if you're experiencing a setback, there's so many, so many places (laughs) that you can turn to. In addition, uh, making friends really helps. Having people Mm -hmm. that you can ask uh, questions to in um, in lecture or after lecture, all of those things make a huge difference. It's it being an island is not not the ideal for uh, an undergraduate journey. I would say. Oh, I agree. Creating that sense of community for yourself on the campus <laughs> will certainly provide incredible support as you navigate. What can be, yes, overwhelming, intimidating experiences. And that is a wrap on this week's episode. Our first episode. Yay. I am so excited for you guys to join us next week when we have Dr. Linda McCarthy on. She is a freaking amazing professor and probably an even more amazing ecotoxicologist. Additionally, we would like to extend our thank yous to the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council for giving us this grant to make this podcast happen. And we would like to thank our host, Toronto Metropolitan University. Finally, I would like to thank Kyle Andrews for putting together this wonderful music and teaching me how to speak into a microphone. And I most importantly want to thank you for listening. And I can't wait for you to come fail with us next week. See you then. Bye. Bye.